0: Ephesians three thirteen through 21. I'll begin reading. It says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, notice this, I bow my knees. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit, in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according by the power that worketh in us. And to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The title of the Bible study tonight is this, For This Cause I Bow. I don't know who needs this tonight. I felt led of the Lord to give this, and um, um, I, I, I pray that this will encourage somebody's heart. Someone tonight's carrying a heavy load, a, a difficult struggle. Uh, They're battling with something. Maybe they're even a little embittered at God toward the trial they're going through. And I hope the passage tonight will really help encourage your heart. Let's pray. Lord, tonight would you take the Bible and Lord, uh, uh, just may it be like a, a salve, a medicine that pours down over our weary souls. Lord, encourage us, help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Story goes that the devil... Once advertised all of his tools for sale at a public auction. When the prospective buyers assembled, there was one oddly shaped tool which was labeled not for sale. Not for sale. Asked to explain why that tool was not for sale, the devil answered, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It is the most useful implement that I have. You see, it's called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts that are otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything that I may desire. Discouragement comes as a result of expectations that go unmet for a long period of time. Proverbs 13:12 tells us hope deferred maketh the heart sick. When our, spirit, uh, when our spiritual expectations are not met, Satan can begin to get a foothold into our life. How do you avoid discouragement? How do you stay on topside for the Lord? Let me give you some introductory thoughts. First, um, expect trials. Expect trials. Just expect them. Trials are going to come. There's no way around it. There's no way to avoid it. If you're going to live life, you're going to to go through trials. Life's not going to be easy. Life's not going to be a cakewalk. Don't expect it to be a cakewalk. Expect things to be hard. Expect people to mistreat you. Expect your tire to go flat. Expect your washing machine to break. Expect expect to get in a car accident here and there. Expect to have to have surgery occasionally. Expect to have a diagnosis from a doctor at some point in your life that you don't want to hear. Expect trials. Number two. Never blame God. Never. Just decide right now that no matter what comes into your life, you are never going to blame God. Uh, Trials come in our life, and ultimately, the reason why they come into our life is because of the sin curse. We live under a sin curse. God did not choose for mankind to be under the sin curse, man chose. For mankind to be under the sin curse. Henceforth, do not blame God. When you go through the trial, blame the devil. Number three, always look for the lesson God wants you to learn. Always look for the lesson God wants you to learn. No matter what it is you're going through, ask yourself this question. What is God trying to teach me? Because God is always trying to teach us something. Number four. Remember that God sees the bigger picture of your life. Remember that God sees the bigger picture of your life. You all know that recently a good friend of mine, uh, Brother Rader, passed away uh, unexpectedly, left a wife and six children behind, all uh, 15 down to a year old. I was sitting there at the um, uh, funeral home speaking with uh, Sarah, the uh, missionary wife, the widow, I had about a 30-minute conversation with her. and While I was speaking with her, this little boy, this little boy just climbs up in my lap and, and I have no idea who this child is sitting in my lap. And the next thing I know, he stands up in my lap, he wraps his arms around my neck and he gives me a kiss on the cheek. And, and I look at this, I, I pull him back and I look at him and I look at Sarah and I said, is this your youngest? And she said, it sure is. And I just began to cry, just began to cry. This little boy's dad is in heaven. And he didn't want to get out of my lap. Why would God let that happen? Do you know that God sees the bigger picture of Sarah Rader's life? He sees what we don't see. So remember that God always sees the bigger picture. What is, Paul said in Ephesians 3, he said, for this cause, for this cause, I bow." Uh, What is this cause? It is the need of restoring um, uh, our brothers and sisters in the faith as they become discouraged or depressed from life's trials. Let me say that again. The cause is the need of restoring our siblings in the faith as they become discouraged or despondent from life's trials. Many people fall away from church due to spiritual Discouragement, something comes into their life, they get discouraged spiritually and they just quit going to church simply out of a deep discouragement. The end of Ephesians 3 tells us uh, how we can personally overcome discouragement and help others uh, overcome it as well. So uh, let me give you six points of encouragement uh, for the downtrodden that Paul has laid out Uh, For us in Ephesians chapter 3. All right, number one, notice the embracement of trials. The embracement of trials. Look at Ephesians 3 and look at verse number 13. He said, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations. for you, which is your glory. So, uh, Paul is sitting in prison with his arms and legs in shackles and he penned these words knowing that the crowd to which he was writing was going through their own set of hard times. Now, one thing you'll know is that Christians everywhere during this time were being persecuted in their faith. Uh, to be a Christian equaled to be persecuted. Paul was telling them in verse 13, I have learned to embrace My problems. Embrace my problems. When I see someone going through a hard time, I'll put my arm around them and I'll pull them close to me and I will embrace them. And Paul said, don't only embrace people that you love, learn to bring in close, learn to embrace your problems. Let us not forget that Paul and the apostles were so willing to suffer physical and emotional agony because their Jesus had led the way and showed them just how to do it. Let us not forget the words of Christ. He reminds us in John chapter 15 verse 20 and 21. Remember the word that I sent unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my namesake because they know not uh, him that sent me. Paul and many of his close friends suffered. For the cause of Christ. Their attitude was not one of complaint. Their attitude was one of gratitude. They said we counted a privilege to get to suffer in the shadow of Jesus Christ. Were they discouraged in their trials? No. Rather they embraced the opportunity to be associated with the Savior by suffering as He suffered. Let me remind you that Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. And while being led away to die, history books tell us that these were his last words. Listen to what Andrew said on his way to die. Andrew, one of the very first disciples of Jesus, he said this, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated By the body of Christ hanging on it. He was thrilled to be nailed to a cross to die. He said, this is a happy hour. There is a false premise that if I become a Christian, then I will no longer suffer. This is the exact opposite of the truth. The exact opposite of the truth. We're so drunk on being comfortable. The idea is su- of suffering is something we push away from. And we think, well, I don't let my children suffer. Why would God let me suffer if I'm His child and He loves me? And the whole premise is wrong. Philippians 3.10, Paul reminds us that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Paul said, I don't want to just know the power of resurrection. I want to know what it feels like to suffer. Because when I suffer, then am I aware of what Jesus went through for me? What trials are you going through right now, Christian? Have you learned to embrace the trial?" If you're going through them as a direct result of your Christian faith, then be glad that your trial identifies you with your Christ. Number one, the embracement of trials. Number two, notice the expression of humility. The expression of humility. Look at verse 14. Notice what Paul said. For this cause, I bow my knees... Unto the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul was saying here? He's saying, I'm not wallowing around in self pity. Oh, woe is me. My life is so hard. I'm sick. My family has betrayed me. I'm lonely. Paul humbly bowed his knee there in that prison cell and prayed for the energizing of the discouraged Ephesians. While he's going through prison and having been beaten and suffering, he gets down on his knee and he prays for others who are suffering to be encouraged. When a brother and sister in Christ is going through a difficult time, it is important that we take their need to the Lord in prayer. It is important that we bow our knee and humble ourselves on behalf of those who, um, who God has put in our paths. And by the way, you should spend more time in prayer praying for others than you do praying for yourself. That's such an important part of this. You know, I God revealed this to me several years ago, probably 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, I was praying, and I got done with my prayer, and the Spirit of God smote me in my heart, and He said, you didn't pray for anybody but yourself the whole time. You praise God for how good I am to you. You thank me for all of the good things I've given you. You ask me to give you this, that, this, and that. You ask me uh, to bless the people who are directly close to you because if they're blessed, then you're blessed. Ouch. Spirit of God, you're right. If we could take your prayer time and we could put that on paper and we could highlight in yellow all of the prayers and praises and gratitudes that are selfish, that are revolved directly around you. And then we could highlight in blue everything where you prayed for someone else. Would there be more yellow or blue markings on that paper? Because here Paul's in prison, he's suffering. And you know who Paul's not praying for? Paul's not praying for Paul. Paul's praying for the church of Ephesus in their suffering. Humility says, I'm going to pray and ask God as though it all depends on Him, but then I'm going to work and do my part as though it all depends on me. God uses prayer. Now, when we take our eyes off our own problems and take someone else's problems to the Lord in prayer, we, what we find is that our own problems are a little easier to handle. That's just what we find. I try my very best to pray through the church list every week. I don't always make it through every name, especially because the church is growing. But I work to pray for over everyone every week. And I have something I try to pray for for everyone. And you know what? When I get done praying for all the needs of everyone in the church, I turn and start to pray for my own needs, and I don't really have any time to pray for me. Because I've I've got things to do. And you know what I find is if I give my time to praying for others, God just takes care of my own needs. But to do that, you have to embrace humility. You have to express humility. Number one, how do we handle life's trials? The embracement of trials. Number two, the expression of humility. Number three, the expectation of intervention. The expectation of intervention. Look at verse number 16. Ephesians three sixteen, That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner, in the inner man. Have you ever been in a de- desperate spot to help someone you loved and didn't have the resources necessary to help them? What did you do? Most people would go to someone they trust who had the resources, right? And if if I had, a, a, say, my brother in Honduras uh, got got captured by you know terrorists and they were demanding a million dollars for his release, all right? And I'm making up a scenario here. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a million dollars for his release. I don't know that me and all my siblings combined have a million dollars. We don't for his release. And uh, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be calling anyone and everyone I could who I knew had money and saying, Hey, can you help us out here? My brother is going to die if we don't come up with this money. And you know what you do? When you're in a desperate spot, you reach out to people with resources and you ask them for help until you get the help you need. Who do you know who has more resources than the God of heaven? You have a brother or sister who's got an emotional need and they're downtrodden and they're discouraged. You know, there's no therapist in the world that can help them more than God can. There's no pastor in the world that can help them more than God can. There's no self-help book that can help them more than God can. But we turn to every other resource and God says, when you have someone who has a problem, you need to turn to Me and I have the riches of glory to strengthen them. Look at verse 16 again. To be strengthened with might by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God in the inner man. He took their need for strength to the Lord in prayer and then expected God to step up and do something about it. Do you have a loved one who is spiritually discouraged? Are you taking them to the Lord in prayer and asking God to strengthen them by the inner man or the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of them? You know... Jesus said in John 14 and again in John 16, He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to ascend to my Father. And I need to ascend to my Father so that the Comforter, the Comforter can come and abide in you. The Comforter. I have gotten in trouble as the pastor for making statements like I'm going to make. At this point, I've made these statements so many times, I guess all the people who don't like it have probably, um, they either desensitized or they've left. So I'm just going to go ahead and put this out here. If you are saved and you have the comforter living inside of you, where is there room for long-term depression? You have the comforter of God. Is your depression greater than God's comfort? Come unto me, all you that labor, and all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I might give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which is easy, and learn of me. The fruits of the Spirit are all in great contradiction to someone who lives in a state of depression. And God has promised us the Comforter. And if someone is discouraged and downtrodden, you need to get on your knees and you need to pray that the Holy Spirit of God will strengthen them in the inner man and energize them and encourage them and bring them out of the doldrums and put their feet back up on a rock. Boy, the greatest thing you could do for someone who is saved is get on your knees and pray for them. Number four, we see the extremities of God's love. The extremities of God's love. Oh, I love this. Look at verse 17 of Ephesians 3. And let's read down through verse 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. This is beautiful may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Where does a discouraged Christian turn when life is just Knocked him on the ground hard. Where does a discouraged Christian turn? Let me answer the question according to the Bible. He turns to the love of God. That's where a discouraged Christian turns. He turns to the love of God. Discouragement and depression can set in when one focuses too much on how he has failed in life or how those in his life have failed to him. You start focusing on yourself. I know people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and you know what? Their life has not turned out how they had hoped. They've just not gotten out of life what they wanted. You know they they say that discouragement is a uh, is a loss of heart, while depression is a loss of hope. You lose heart long enough, eventually you slip into a A depression. And I just want to insert this here. If you've ever been in a place of depression, it can feel like your feet are just sort of stuck in tar. No matter how hard you try, you just can't walk out. And then you kind of lose the desire to even want to try to walk out anymore. And then you hear a sermon about depression, and you go, yeah, that's great in theory but I don't even have the energy to pick one foot up and and put it in front of the other and then Pastor Lejeune tells you that to be depressed long term you're living in sin you think oh well on top of being depressed now I feel guilty of being in sin how do I can I tell you the answer Take your attention off your troubles and your trials and your struggles and your shortcomings. And just put your focus on the love of Christ. Because the love of Christ will carry you to where you need to be. The Almighty God made you, no matter who you are, where you are in life, He made you with purpose. He formed you with His hand He has a perfect plan laid out for your life. He knows you and where you are and what you're going through. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows that you are depressed. And He knows why you are depressed. He also knows the solution to heal you from your state of depression. So what's the solution? Well, simply put, it is the cross. It is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. All that can be found in what God did to His Son on the cross because He loved you. Write these things down below point number four. Jesus suffered physically. Jesus suffered physically. I was talking to Someone recently who was telling me about a loved one of theirs who has just been through multiple treatments for cancer and has fallen and broken hip and leg and arm. And now the brain's not working well. They can't pick things up and set them down. They drop things real easy. And radiation treatments and chemotherapy and year after year after year. And you know, physically, they're just tired. Jesus suffered physically. There's nothing that you're going through physically that Jesus didn't endure that and worse on the cross. Why did He do that? He did it for me and you. Jesus did not only suffer physically. Write this down. Jesus suffered emotionally. Jesus suffered emotionally. The high priest and Roman soldiers—they worked hard to provoke his temper. They hurled false accusations and cruel criticisms. I'm in the middle of studying Isaiah 50 because we're in Isaiah, and I—I uh, I, I assume we'll be there next week. Well, in two weeks we get the missions conference, but Isaiah 50 talks about how they ripped his beard from his face and they. They spit in his face, and he he did not turn from that. You ever had someone spit on you? You know how the meaning that is. Have someone just directly spit in your face? Do you know the emotional hurt Jesus went through when they mocked him and they bludgeoned to him in an attempt to provoke him to anger? Jesus not only suffered physically and emotionally, write this one down. Jesus suffered socially. Socially. By the way, a lie that people tell is you can't understand. Why people tell themselves, "Don't, don't even try to encourage me. You don't understand where I'm at. Unless you've dealt with depression, exactly like I'm dealing with it, you can't help me. You're not qualified keep your opinion to yourself, keep your Bible to yourself. I've heard all this. I I want to be clear here. I may not have been depressed the way you're depressed, but I know a Jesus who went through what you've gone through and worse. And so all I want to do is mediate you and Jesus. Because Jesus wants to put his arm around you and walk you right out of your hardship. I want you to stop and think about everything that Jesus went through. For three and a half years, He healed people. He preached the truth. He was a gentle, gentle soul. You know, you don't really find Jesus yelling and screaming at people. What you find is Jesus being hard on the Pharisees, but to everyone else, Jesus was so loving and kind and gentle. Then they arrested him. Where were the 12 men that followed him after he was arrested? They abandoned him. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was arrested, other than John and Peter, all the rest of them ran and hid. Oh, well, some kind of, you know, some kind of friends you guys are. He just invested three and a half years of his life into you, and you guys take off at the first sign of persecution? Why when Jesus was brought before Pilate, why was there not, you know, like, like 10,000 people who showed up and said, you are not gonna lay a hand on this guy. He is the one that healed my cousin, or my brother, or my mother, or my son. Where were the people who Jesus had directly helped to stand up and say, that is our man, you're not gonna to touch him? You know where they, none of them, none of them were there. None of them were there for him. You ever felt like, man, I put myself out there for him or her, and now where are they when I'm going through a hard time? You ever felt that way? We've all felt that way at some point. Jesus put Himself out there for three and a half years, and when He got arrested, His mother and John were the only two people by His side. Everyone else gone. You feel like you're all alone and no one understands you. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men. Write this down. Jesus suffered relationally. And then if that was not bad enough, while He hung on the cross and became our sin, God the Father turned His back on His Son and cut Him off. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? There is no pain that you can suffer that Jesus did not endure that day on Calvary. He suffered hell on the cross so that He could restore a broken relationship with you That was caused by sin. The next time you feel discouraged, depressed, can I just encourage you to take your eyes off of whatever it's on. Put them on the cross of Jesus. Because He suffered for you. He suffered for your sin. He died to give you liberty. He died to give you salvation. Think about the defeat that He suffered on your behalf so that you could enjoy a life of victory. Discouragement, depression do not have to own you. You can find the power to defeat these enemies when you learn about the extremities of God's love for you specifically. I'm going to make a statement here. I have yet to meet a person who battles depression long term, who spends 30 minutes a day focusing on Christ and His great sacrifice on the cross. You focus on Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, and you read it, and you study it, and you memorize it, and you dissect it, and you read commentaries on it, and you fully grasp what He went through for you, that cloud is going to lift from off your head. You say, I don't believe it. Well, go try it, and then come back and we'll have a conversation. Because God's love is so great, It can cure you of any struggle that you have. Number five, we see the engine behind our faith. The engine behind our faith. Look at Ephesians 3. Look at verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Two components to accomplishing the Lord's work in a way that is exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know what that means? That means that what you see is impossible God sees as possible, and God wants to work in your life. I will never get out of this rut. I will never get out of this struggle. Hey, that friend of mine will never come to Christ. That, uh, that loved one of mine uh, is just cantankerous, and it can never happen. Uh, there are two components for God to do it, the exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think. Okay, here are the two components. Write these down. They're very s- simple here. The first one is His ability. His ability. Hey, is there anything God can't do? There's nothing God can't do. God can do anything but fail. (laughs) As the old song says, right? God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail, right? Uh, I didn't hit all the notes, but that's the song, amen? His, 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 uh, his, His ability, here's the second component, our willingness, our willingness. You have to be willing To let God do great things in your life. That's going to require you to submit and get out of his way. Alright? Do you know that there's only one difference between me and you and the Apostle Paul? You know what it was? Paul's willingness. You know what Paul was like? They can put me in a pit and they can stone me to be half dead or dead, depending on your interpretation of that passage and they can drag me to the edge of town and leave me there, I'm going to get up the next day and I'm going to go preach. That guy was crazy. You know what? If Paul was here tonight and he took off his shirt and he showed you the scars and markings all over his body, you know what he'd say to you? I gladly suffered because I wanted the the power of God to work through me. He was willing. He was willing to sacrifice much more than most every Christian I know, if not every Christian I know. It it, it isn't that God likes Paul more than He likes you. It's that Paul threw a little bit more, really a whole lot more, of his willingness uh, uh, at God's ability in order to get these eternal successes. So, I'm sure as Paul sat there in jail... He had time to reflect on many of the victories that he had seen God use him to accomplish. I'm sure that he sat back and thought to himself, I never anticipated, thought, or asked for some of the victories that God has accomplished through me. There is no comprehending what God could do with you if you provided a willing heart, mind, and soul To His work. Why? Because God is all powerful. He is the engine that gets the work done. We are the ones that must provide the willing hands, the willing feet, the willing mouth, and the willing mind. And then He works straight through that. So we see the engine behind our faith. Let's look lastly here and see the elevation of His name. The elevation of His name. Look at Ephesians 3 and look at verse 21. Unto Him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So when we are we, we give our willingness to His all-powerful ability, and great things are accomplished, who should get the credit? You get down on your knees and you pray for that loved one who's struggling, and all of a sudden, they, they're not struggling anymore. Here's another one, Okay. You have some family members who are having some marriage problems. And you get on your knees and you pray for them. And then God gives you some wisdom. And then you go give them that wisdom. And they take your wisdom and they're helped. And all of a sudden their marriage gets back on track and you think, I fixed their marriage! Oh, hold on a minute. Right? Someone's having financial problems. And you sit them down and you lovingly tell them you need to change this, this, and this, and this. But you pray for them in the process. And all of a sudden, they take your advice. And all of a sudden, they're millionaires. And you think, oh, I took them from rags to riches. Nope. 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 It's God that gets the glory. Amen? Hey, why don't Baptist churches been growing lately? Amen? Isn't it great to see? There's a wonderful spirit here at our church. It's wonderful to see. You know who does not get the credit for why the Baptist Church growing? I don't get the credit, and you don't get the credit. You know who gets the credit? The Lord gets the credit. Because Jesus said to Peter, He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Christ builds the church. Pastor Lejeune doesn't build the church. You don't build the church. Christ builds the church. I like what Fanny Crosby said. She said this. She said, To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life in atonement for sin, and opened the life gates that all may go in. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus His Son and give Him the glory, great things He hath done. You know what? the next time life kicks you to the ground or someone you love to the ground, what should you do? First thing you do, look back at that outline, what's the first thing you do? You embrace your trial. Embrace it. Embrace it. Don't sulk. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't isolate. Don't be like, this is unfair. To be a Christian is to suffer, and to suffer is to be a Christian. Embrace your trial. All right, then what do you do? You get down on your knees and you pray. You express humility, right? And know what Job did, right? Naked came I in this world. Naked will I depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what? God can take everything from me. He's still a good God. Then you know what? After you pray, you know what you do? You expect God to step in and do something about it. And then you get down and you begin to study the love of God. The extremities of that love. And then you remember who is the engine of your faith. And then, once God comes through in that trial and grows you and sees great things happen, you step back and you elevate His name. I, um, I've been saved, let's see here, Was four years, I've been saved 35 years. Amen. 35 years of being a Christian. And I can tell you this, after 35 years of walking the Christian life, there is not a single trial that God's brought my way. He was not trying to mold me and make me into a better person. You're going through something right now. Don't be miffed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be upset with God. Don't be thinking, Why? listen, we change when we're miserable. God's bringing misery into your life in order to make you a better person. Don't gra- Don't grapple with God. Don't fight with God. Rather, instead, learn to be grateful to God and let Him grow you as a result. Amen? Hope that was an encouragement to you tonight. Let's stand together tonight. We're going to pray, and we're going to go home and go to work tomorrow and love Jesus and represent Him. Be in prayer for our missions conference. kicks off on Sunday. we got Great Commission Saturday on Saturday. Pick up some gospel tracks. Pass those out everywhere you go. Let's be an encouragement to everyone tonight. Let's ask God to bless us mightily as we go. All right?